One Emotional Podcast, Conversations for Inspiration on the Go. We offer on-the-go inspiration because our whole heart is set on beauty and our best bets are set on art. Hi, Philip. How are you? It's a pleasure to have you here in the Emotional Podcast. Thank you, Mario. It's a pleasure to be here. Mm, so this person that I have in front of me is an amazing person. Uh, he has devoted his life to making art more accessible. And Philippe believes in the transformative power of art for social business and for different business around the world. That's why it's very aligned to Luan's core values. Um, he's a creative entrepreneur and founder of Massive Art, which I'm a huge fan of this company. This is a unique creative placemaking public art consulting and production firm for the real estate industry, municipalities, museums, and brands. Philippe specializes in leveraging art and culture to drive business results and help clients achieve their goals. Working at the intersection of art and commerce, the company creates inspiring destinations, experiences, and public art pieces. We actually just launched a uh, first uh, artificial intelligence culture in, in Latin America. And they are cultural placemakers, curators, designers, strategists, and producers for the public and private realm. Philippe and his team are passionate about creating opportunities for artists, supporting their development, and contributing to more vibrant communities. So, Philippe, could you tell us a little bit how Massive Art started? What was the background from it? For sure. So, I was in school and I was looking at, you know, all my friends that were artists and I was so amazed by their talents. And I was kind of hoping that I could participate to, you know, their talent and this like super energy that they bring to the table. And uh, what I realized is that a lot of them kept their art pieces, you know, in their studio or had kind of like, uh, were missing a little bit of opportunities to show their work or, uh, you know, they were thinking that it was complicated a little bit to organize exhibition and events. So <clears throat> I said, well, maybe that's something that I can help with. So we started really just, this really passion project of, uh, you know, showcasing our friends' art pieces, basically. And we organized those big loft party in Montreal. And it was like really fun. It was all those up and coming emerging artists and we would show their pieces, but we would make it in a very festive way. So we wanted to not to kind of stay away from the gallery and, you know, more institutional model, which sometimes can be a barrier for people to enjoy art. We wanted people that from any background, you know, to be able to enjoy this art. So, so it really started like that. And a lot of people started coming to the event and enjoying the event and it became, you know, an annual event. And then after a festival called Chromatic Festival, and um, it was a tough, uh, it was a tough business model. It was there, there was no revenues. We were all volunteers, and so after a few years, right, we got a little tired, and we said, okay, well, maybe we need to reinvent the wheel here because it is amazing. Everyone's knowing a lot of art, but then you know the artist doesn't get you know much more you know money out of it, and so it's a little difficult for them. We are not getting paid or compensated, so. We needed to find something that worked well. And at this moment, uh, you know, kind of magically and organically, people started asking us to organize their event. They were like, we really want art in our events. We want art in our spaces. And you guys, you know, you know so many artists. So could you help us do that? And so basically it started this really organically. We started organizing other people's events and with that money, with this little profit, we would reinvest into creating other more and more you know, art event. And it became this really interesting things where this non-for-profit project was fueled by uh, for like a more for-profit, you know, kind of like services, but that also was respecting the core of what we, what we've done, you know, which, which making art accessible, you know, helping art, the artistic community, basically delivering impact to art and culture. And so this is really how it started growing organically. And, you know, I never, never, never thought that I was going to do that for 13 years now. Um, so it's been like a really nice gift. So that's really how everything started, like a school project, basically. And, and now it's, uh, you know, three office and uh, it's, uh, it, we're producing project worldwide. And it's, it's uh, yeah, I would have never imagined that. So it's a nice surprise. 
That's amazing. Did you knew kind of like intuitively when you were starting that somewhere deep behind you, like inside you, did you think that something like this was going to happen? Maybe not in your head, but in your heart. Yeah, I think that in the heart maybe because like there's so much passion. I think it was like, I don't know that I could have guessed that something great was going to happen, but I, I knew that I, it was going to take me somewhere interesting you know, because it was, it felt so genuine. Like even like I, I always, I'm always flattered, like really impressed by all of the help and volunteers that were coming in the projects. And I think that it was because it was really resonating with something that, you know, people wanted to see more accessible art and less kind of snobby and, and using like, you know, people are really interested in the art and the visual arts, but I think that it was, you know, really in the museum and it was kind of like in sacred places. And I think that people were really, there is something there. So I think that, yes, I, I felt that it was going to let me or let, you know, my life do something interesting, but I was never going to think it was going to be like a business with like, you know, a big team and uh, different offices and different countries. And so that's a total surprise, you know? And, and of course, as it was growing, I was always like, wow, okay. Stimulated by it. But I think that you kind of like, I knew that we were into something. I knew that it was like something that was useful for the art, for the art community and also that the public was enjoying it. And so, you know, I had a, a feeling that it was like, yeah, something that would lead to positive outcomes. Totally. And it's exactly the right time. Now you can see, you know, culturally the impact that this, you know, creativity and art are having in every one of us, right? There's kind of like more demand for aesthetics. There's more demand for, you know, art and, you know, aesthetics in general, kind of like design and art in general. And I think it's, it's the right moment. And you mentioned it really well to stop the snobby part of art, right? Because for example, you, right. you go to a museum, right? So to be a place you know for reflection you know maybe you know to play to you know see these either sculptures or paintings or whatever the museum has and kind of like you know invite you to reflect and to play and to kind of like um have some kind of relationship with the art pieces right and usually when you go to a museum i'm not saying all of them but some of them or most of them kind of like tend to be like quite snobby you know you cannot you know do anything you cannot kind of like you have security people telling you not to take pictures not to not, not to be too close to the art piece not to play not to you know it's kind of like you know just like be stiff and just watch at it yeah yeah, yeah. and there's no interaction it's not a place for your inner children you're right no and absolutely but but this is a mistake i think because art is such a, like is a perfect vehicle and that's why i like luan project so much because for me it's like you you know you're what you guys are promoting is like the art and culture as a vehicle for you know better self understanding and better connections with the other and i think that this is ultimately you know the ultimate goal so a lot of what we do is you know placemaking and we're trying to art and culture to kind of drive identity to a place and and therefore you know we have maybe in, in our model we have like you know a client in the end that's like most of the time a real estate player or so someone that has a business no and so but what i like about and we're trying to combine these kind of emotional messages and these kind of self-discovery uh with you know more tangible like uh you know, increased sales, increased visitorship, and like more tangible ROI, so that also there's a balance. But I think that what I like about Luan is that <clears throat> you guys are really focused in, in art as a vehicle, you know, for self-discovery and like, uh, you know, better, better ethics and, and better, you know, knowing uh, of each other's and connections to our society. And I think that, you know, like this vehicle of art that's, to your point in the museum is not used properly. You know, if you have to, if you have to just be an outsider observer, it's never going to take you, you know, within uh, as much as it could be if it was designed in a much more, well, less elitist way in a more accessible way, interactive way. And I think that a lot of museums are making the switch, right? Yes. 
Yes, because art is not for the lucky few, right? Art should be accessible for everyone because you know, I believe that art you know, has this outlet for emotional expression and has this, you, know, you, you can see many, many, many papers, scientific papers around the world about the benefits about art and about living with art and about you know, creativity that, that add to your life. And something very important is you know, to be able to use art as this kind of like, space for self-reflection right because sometimes we're constantly you know running every day of, of our lives you know kind of like you know making decisions and sometimes the decisions that we're making might not be some the optimized option maybe right so maybe kind of like have this you know space to sit down a little bit to slow down to go inward right because no, you can see many also psychological papers. Most of the times, what you have inside is something, a projection of your outer world. So if, you, if we're, you know, we're all humans and we all have emotions and we're all suffering, right? In different parts of our lives. And if we don't yes. get inside of us, then eventually, you know, we're not going to end suffering, not only for us, but for other future generations. And I believe that the emotional, you know, development that this generation is starting to make, right? Prioritizing this emotional development development, prioritizing this healing, prioritizing this reflection, right, is going to be the seeds to, you know, to 20 humanity, hopefully. <laughs> yeah, I feel that you, this is like the outmost state of like how hard can be used. And it's so interesting because, you know, in my day to day, I'm, I'm having to deal with a lot of people that they might not have been exposed to art or they might not have visited museums or they might not have been touched by a singer as much as maybe we had the chance to, you know, to connect uh, with those things. And so I feel that there's like levels of, of how, of basically how art and culture can have impact. And this level that you're talking about, it's so, you know, it's like the, you know, it's at the top of the pyramid of the needs, you know what I mean? In the sense that it's so great because it's really making people reflect on their whole existence. And it's like really a seed that can plant so much more. But then there's also like really more basic, you know, impact. So for example, like art makes public spaces safer, you know, like people when, when there's art in a public space, they feel much more safer. There's less tendency for crimes because the places are being taken care of. It gives people kind of a little kind of common sense in a place. And it's just, it's like, it's a really basic thing. Like it's basically make a space safer. Then it also makes people want to spend more time in that space. You know, they're like, oh, well, there's something to do. There's something to talk about. There's like an attraction standpoint. So even from like super basic things, it's also making you, you know, spend more time in a space. And then it's also a vehicle for identity. You know, it's like, okay, well, this space now has a charm and has an history. Like, and so there's so much layers of how, you know, the impact of art and culture. And, and so we're really in my day to day, because I'm talking with those people that might not be exposed as much to, you know, the emotional impact of art and psychological impact of art and mental health impact of art. They're really focused on maybe those more tangible, I don't want to say tangible, but like, more like, uh, yeah, anchored in, in things they can measure. And, and so it's so interesting because this array, I don't know a lot of, you know, tools that we have as humans that, uh, that has such a variety of impact, you know, from, from very pragmatical impact to really emotional, psychological impact. And, and it's like this whole pyramid. It's, that's why we're, we're trying at Massive Art constantly to convince people that it makes economic sense so that we can get to an emotional level eventually, or that we can use, you know, this tool as so much more like as a, a tool to transform societies, to transform mindsets. But it's really slowly getting there. <clears throat> I think that the pandemic really helped people to understand Mm -hmm. that <clears throat> the public spaces are so important mm -hmm. and they should be really, you know, considered um, not just as functional spaces, but as spaces to live. And I think that people crave being outside of their houses and now the owners of those spaces and the people that are developing those spaces, it seems that they have more this conscience that, okay, well, if my space doesn't have any cultural relevancy, then no one wants to come, you no. Know? And so I think that it's like, for me, it's really encouraging. 
I see a lot of like super interesting um, evolution in that sense. I don't know if you kind of have the same observation on your head. Totally, totally. And just pinpointing something that you mentioned is that, you know, you're working with the physical space so you can, you know, develop more in the emotional space. So then at the end, we can reach, you know, some kind of like spiritual space, right? And using art as that main vehicle. And I love what you guys are doing in Massive Art in that, in all of those projects that you have, you know, for public spaces, the ones that you've done over in Montreal, the ones that you've done in Mexico City, you know, because I, I, I truly believe that the impact when you add art to spaces, right? And we can see the, the success case of Medellin over in Colombia. I don't know if you know that, that you know, but they used to have these favelas that were very um, unsafe, right? This kind of like towns, it was full of narco and, you know, the whole deal. And then they started doing these buildings made by like the best architects that used to have, you know, kind of like computers and like library and this place for kids, you know, some others could go there and, you know, work or either, you know, educate themselves while they, while they live there uh, kids there and the people from the favelas starting started to take care of this building and started to take care of these favelas of their towns and nowadays for example they they stand with a lot of pride it has become a much safer you know place for people from medellin and also you have another success case of this the parque of the pies descalzos the the, the barefoot park that it used to be a dumpster and it was you know really unsafe it was kind of like in near the heart of the city right and um right. And the people there quite unsafe and then they you know completely redid it they added this kind of like fountain so people can play and could enjoy and could take their shoes off and play with the water and trees and art installations and it completely reinvented the the behavior that the city has i don't know if you watch this documentary called urbanized but they actually talk about this success cases around the world of what other governments have implemented and how you know it has done an important impact so of course public spaces especially that has to do with art have the ability to completely transform the culture of that city right whether other yeah. kind of like examples have you seen in massive art or projects that you've done that that has impacted the culture of that specific space yeah so so i completely agree in that you know one of the tagline that we have is like the transformative power of art and culture and it's really transformative to your point so well there's there's a few there's a few so obviously we i hope i tend to hope that all of our projects have some kind of transformative impact not only on businesses but also on community and cultures but uh you know a few that comes to mind there's there's a few layers again so some have for example like uh to your point, they will re-kind of shape an identity of a place. So in Montreal, there is this one area that was had a lot of opioid crisis problem. And so people would, you know, it felt unsafe, but it was also a space where, uh, you know, whether you like it or not, there was a, a lot of homelessness and, and they were, you know, having opioid addictions problems. And so what was done is transforming literally this space, but not, not with the objective of chasing them away, but also including them in the process. And so what was done is this open air art gallery, and uh, it was a 24 hour open art gallery that was made for the outdoor, sturdy for the winter, made of like light boxes and a lot of like giant prints. And so basically uh, we worked with the with the community that was there to make sure that they would be in charge of the security. So basically, instead of chasing them with the security, implementing the security, we made them have a purpose in the space, and we made them contribute also to you know the some of the curatorial, some of the issues that were addressed through art, which is like a perfect vehicle once again to raise social issues and to speak about stuff, but in a really engaging way, like not in a like you know, like, oh, I'm going to tell you why it's bad to do that. So it was really interesting because in the end, this spot that was totally, you know, not somewhere you would want to hang out and take photos if you were visiting the city, it actually became uh, within three years, the, the cover of, uh, of the tourism magazine of the Montreal tourism, you know, booklets. And so it was such a, it's a radical transformation because it came from a place that you would definitely not recommend a tourist to go to the cover of the tourist book. So that was an example where you're like, okay, well, it impacted socially. It also educated and gave kind of a purpose to the people that were there. And all the tool was like a gallery and art. And right now we're finishing some studies because 
What we also realize is that, and that's you know when I'm trying to talk about all the ROI and the economic impact, is we're trying to we're realizing that the value of the houses that were surrounding this park obviously went up, you know, and and we're we're finalizing the number, but they 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 did not double, but they had a really interesting increase in their value. So this created a lot of value for also the citizens around, you know, that basically they've had hundreds of thousands of dollars more in their pocket. And so if you consider the cost of this project, it was overall so win-win, you know, it's like, and so these are the things that it's hard for, I'd say classic urban designers or, you know, classic businessmen to kind of conceive until you showcase more and more of these examples. So, so for one, that's one example that I think is amazing. And then in terms maybe of an educational impact, I have another example that comes to mind, which is a collaboration we've done with a, with an hospital. Uh, it's called St. Michael Hospital. And uh, they are working really at the intersection of uh, poverty and health. And so they're looking at how poverty can be something that will, you know, basically there's a lot of studies that shows that, you know, like uh, with people with precarious financial conditions are more likely to get sick, you know, because yeah. there's not enough prevention and whatnot. And so they're trying to influence the government of Canada. It's an hospital in Toronto uh, to change some of their policies uh, regarding health. And so we made with them and some artists an exhibition to help them communicate around really complex research that they had done around, you know, uh, the price of medication, around uh, some issues with, uh, you know, indigenous uh, children. And I don't know if you knew that, but half of the, half of the children in Canada that are in the, um, you know, in the child care uh, system where they're being taken away from their parents are from indigenous community, but the indigenous community represents less than 2% of the country. So it's, it's a tremendously, like there's something is broken. And so they have worked on those studies, for example, of how we could solve this, not with hospitals and medication, and do preventive you know, medicine so that the families can stay together, create a more healthy thing. And so we've used our installations, for example, for this, this study, the art installation was a, was a group of uh, sculpture that you could go and place your hands. And once you were holding the, these sculptures and you were completing the family circle, then there was this video projection mm-hmm. that would tell you all about why is it important to not break the family circles and how can we help to maintain them a lot, you know, maintain them, those communities together. And so the artists that worked on the statues, well, on those sculptures and on the projections, they really participated into educating a lot of people and changing their world, you know? And so this is like an example of how, well, it's really important. It's really important topics and how you can use art, which obviously, you know, those doctors that have made those research, they, if they gave you this 400 page paper, most likely people like you and me, we're not read it. Yeah. But if, if we're invited to participate into an engaging exhibition design, uh, well, we'll most likely have this emotional connections with, you know, with what they're trying to tell us. And so it's going to be so much more easy to understand and get. So, 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 you know, the impacts are so diverse. It's really, it's really interesting. You know, most of uh, a lot of time, what I say is that there needs to be a shift in our perception, like a paradigm shift, no? Because a lot of how we were conceiving art and culture before was top to bottom. It was like, oh, I'm a rich person. I'm patronizing the arts and my name will be next to a theater and I'm doing great by helping the, the poor artists. But what people need to realize now is that it's equal to equal. It's like artists with their art can bring so much commercial value, so much educational value, so much psychological value. So now I feel that people have to stop thinking they're patronizing the art and more thinking that they're, you know, having their beneficial, they're, they're having benefits, beneficial, Anyway, they're having value uh, from those artists. And so it's, for me, it's a change of perception. It's a change it's a, of paradigm, you know, that we're not just now top to bottom. We're equal to equal with, you know, all of the creators. 
And I think that's an important shift. Totally. And what you had mentioned about you know, these two examples, no? we can see that it's a win-win situation for everyone, right? It, it creates, you know, um, it transforms unsafe places to safe places, right? It creates, you know, bonds emotionally. It's an outlet for expression. It increases, you know, the money of the people that live around where there, where those installations were, were put, right? We can see many benefits. But why do you think that having, you know, so many benefits benefits in front of us, there are still many roadblocks to doing it. And why we're not seeing, you know, artistic installation or public spaces around all the main cities in the world. What's happening? Right. Well, I think oh, that's a really good question. So I think that basically it's, a, it's like there's a few elements. There's a question of education. So people maybe that have not experienced and not seen this, it's, it's, it's not a natural way of, you know, you wouldn't think, oh, I need to raise the value of a house you wouldn't think let's put art you know as a first like you need to have heard of that or have kind of had the experience of that but also mainly it's because you know i think that people are looking for yeah roi and so like more direct kind of like if it's indirect most of the time so <laughs> it's it's investor-led right so a lot of decisions in the world are made because uh, it's for you know the benefits of 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 investors so that's why we at massive right we're really fighting to find economical arguments because we really believe in the emotional one and the social one and the community one but it feels that as long as they don't see you know like the benefits in their wallet some of some people more traditional people won't be convinced And so I think that that's a lot of what's in the way. But apart from this, which I think we can, you know, resolve and that we're like the world is slowly shifting and people are realizing that, oh, well, if you're not sustainable, if you don't include art and culture, then your investment will perish because they'll be, you know, senseless. They'll have no purpose. And so I think that this is like really shifting and we're observing it and like big investment funds that are, you know, have, instead of having a pure ROI on finance, they now have other types of impacts, you know, to, to, to evaluate their, their investments. So I think that we're really getting there. And it's like, first it was the green wave. And I think the next wave is like the art and culture waves, which are going to be okay, but what kind of art and culture impact do we have? But also I think it's, <clears throat> it's a question sometimes of, Well, from my observation, it's it's almost like artists and creators sometimes do not speak the same languages as the people that are in charge of you know designing those places, financing those places. And there is a there is it's a really hard to communicate. And they want the same thing, right? To achieve this really amazing outdoor space that's going to make people feel safer and everything. But then in the process of doing so. There's so many barriers in terms of like either they'll focus the conversation all on money and then it's going to be impossible to like drive a vision or the, the, the people won't understand the vision of the artist. And so I have observed that, you know, and not, it sounds very selfish of, 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 of me, but I have observed that having a third party sometimes like an agency, like massive art, or it could be anyone else, like an agent, it's really old concept, like an artist agent, but all just this uh, already helps to create like a more positive dialogue that might have more impact, you know, because the reflex of a lot of people is like, Oh, well, I'm just going to hire an artist and, and that's it. But then it's a little hard Because even an artist might maybe have not done work in such conditions or might not have realized, uh, you know, the engineering and the architecture and all of what those people that are, you know, designing a city or a public space are focused on. And so I think it helps to, to bring the dialogue to have like a third party or, you know, educating Uh, the artist also and the clients and or you know the people that are commissioning those work into well how do you actually value the artistic vision or how do you promote the art the artist correctly in the project and the artist how do I actually anchor my work correctly and how I, I can I actually fit the construction phases of a new place and and talk the language Uh, the same language of the artist. So there's, there's a lot of that. And I think that it's also more and more I'm observing that, you know, a lot of artists are excellent at that, but I think it's kind of a natural barrier because yeah. sometimes when you're a creator, it's such an emotional work, right? 
it's really you're giving all your soul and it's really about what's important to you and sometimes it's so much hard to have those other part of your brain that's like okay now let's be totally rational and really focused on the mechanics you know and so i think that it helps to kind of like have separate uh ways of doing that so i think that's another obstacle i don't know what what other obstacles would you see mario totally i would say another one would be the short-term versus the long-term vision right because most yeah. of the time when you invest in education and in culture right those are investments that take time right and i know that sometimes we're used to of having our or or oi you know like really fast now if i'm investing this amount of money i want this you know return of investment in x amount of months and sometimes you know especially with cultural and educational and artistic projects you don't get that return of investment as fast so i also think that right that these new kind of like paradigm shift that we're talking about i think mm -hmm. it also includes um thinking and investing and adopting this you know long term view because we've seen where we are today that this short term view that we've been carrying for so long is not going to take us anywhere right you know right. we're impacting you know the world we're impacting you know nature you know the climate crisis that's happening the poverty the unequality that we can see around the world you know we have all of these you know problems because constantly we are short-sighted so i believe that's a huge also roadblock you know to, right. to make this this uh, projects you know successful and to implement them in many countries and many many parts of the world right and you know what you make me think is like also what i've observed is like sometimes people have a feeling that they might want to go to there, but they want to just give it a little try. And so they, they put really little resources, mm -hmm. financial or time resources, and then it just drives like, like very little results, you know? And so it's also like, I'd say that, you know, you'd have to do it well to your point to have success and, and to show examples. And it's almost like for us, for the companies like mine or for, for the artists out there, it's almost like a, we need to say no when we think that it's not gonna, you know, have the impact or there's not enough resources around the table yeah. to drive the impact because then it just leaves like a bad aftertaste, you know, in the, in the people's mouth, like, Oh, well, I knew it. It was not going to work because it's just art and whatever, and blah, blah, blah. And so also I think that, you know, someone told me <laughs> one day that, uh, It was like a moment factory, which is like a big firm in Montreal that does, uh, you know, installations and, and large scale digital installations and, and whatnot. And they were saying, you know, Phil, there's no, there's no real competition. Like we're not in competition. We're the only competitions is people delivering bad work because then they're leaving like this aftertaste in the mouth of people that are financing these opportunities saying, oh, well, it just doesn't work, you know? And so maybe also that's kind of something because... You know, we're so like, we want to see the art there more accessible. So we have this tendency of saying, okay, yes, I'm just going to do it at no fee. And, uh, and, you know, for example, and this is something that happens a lot in Montreal, like people are always asking the artists to work for, for free for exposure. And this is like what we're fighting it you know, for this to stop because obviously you won't pay your rent with exposure. Mm -hmm. Some projects obviously are amazing and should be, you know, diffused for free. And if that, that's the intention of the artist, that's fine. But for a client or so like to ask this, it's, you know, it's, it has to change like this. Like, again, it's about the, the perception of the value of, of like art and the artist, but totally. that might be another thing that's in the way. I would love to see Massive Art create a CD. <laughs> you know, what do you guys include? What to do? I can imagine it like a playground <laughs> of art yes. around. And one other roadblock oh. that we had is, you know, the policy changes, right? Because I think that right now, you know, it could be, you know, in policy, right? Not being uh, prioritized, these kind of things, because obviously I know that there are many other things to prioritize, kind of like health and kind of like, you know, education or, you know, poverty and other, you know, social problems that we have. But also I think the more that, you know, um, you know, citizens start demanding this type of artistic projects, the more that, you know, they will implement, you know, easy access either to, you know, grants or funding or, you know, permits to be able to, you know, to do an artistic installation in a public park in different cities around the world. So I also think that is something crucial huh, to implement. 
Well, it's interesting that you mentioned like policy and then building a city because recently we've had the chance to start to do uh, a kind of it's kind of a new thing for us, but it's called like public art, well, cultural master planning. And so basically, uh, we have two projects right now where we're working at the uh, planning mm -hmm. policy wise on a few like a really big district that's like a mini city basically uh, in Canada. And so it's super interesting because to your point this infrastructure of policy that we have and those laws that we're making and these like, okay, well, this area will be designated as such. And then, oh, you can't do this and you can do this. Sometimes gets really in the way of like, maybe like organic way of creating culture, you know? And so, you know, it's, it's, I think there's been so, there's been a vision where, it was like, oh, a really famous curator would decide what is the good art and what is the bad art. And then they would put like those monumental mm -hmm. sculpture in the public spaces. And that'd be it, you know. And right now, <clears throat> there's such an interesting movement where people are starting to push those sculptures down because they represent colon colonialism or they represent someone that was, you know, not really kind towards indigenous culture. Or And so it's so interesting that people now are, kind of rebelling against that. And so it has shifted from, oh, this mighty curator is selecting the art to what does the community wants to, like is relevant for the, what cultural symbolism are relevant for the community. Yeah. And so it's a whole new way also of designing for, you know, agencies like ours where we need to really change our practices and start asking more underrepresented community, hey, what would you like to see there? Hey, what do you think is relevant for you there? And so it is such a new way of designing that sometimes maybe older generations of urban planners or even people like city workers or real estate developers, they do not have these reflexes yet. And I think that the next generation to come uh, in those roles will be so much more sensitive to those topics, right? Mm. And, and creating this infrastructure at a city level with like, um, you know, enough grants and enough like support systems is also like kind of really important mm -hmm. to make sure that, you know, these kinds of collaboration can thrive. Totally, um, totally. There's, one, there's one example that I can think of, uh, which is like art residencies, you know, so in Montreal, there's a, there was a lot of problem. And I think it's an international phenomenon where as downtown prices rises all of the artists that were living there starts to escape you no know? and so it becomes a much more sterile zone which like just business and, and so it has been proven that it's really not ideal because you do want an influx of creative you know workers and and you do want a lot of creativity in your areas if you want to keep in like a good balance and so what they've been doing now is if you're building a building and you're planning to add artist residency, affordable artist residencies. They let you build two floors higher mm -hmm. than normally they would have let you build. So you make more money. Mm -hmm. And so these kinds of policies are brilliant because yeah. it's like, it, mm -hmm. yeah, it's just a loop of, you know, win-win for everyone. Totally. We need to implement policy changes. And I would add a last one. I don't know what you think, Philip, but that's kind of like the mindset that we as humans have. I know so many people that they believe they're not creative or they're there or that they're not artists. And I believe that if you're human, we are artists because we have access to that part of our brain that's, you know, creative and that it has kind of like this, you know, connection and this, um, yeah, this, this, this playful and this awesome part. Right. And I believe that most people kind of like we tend as human beings, as, as a humanity, not to being able to believe in ourselves, that we're not creative or that we're not artists, mm -hmm. right? And that's why over in Luan, for example, we did this uh, Show Your Fire collective, you know, project about people submitting their own fire creatively from many corners around the world. We have um, 170 countries that have submitted their work. And, um, wow. and also, yeah, and also we have some uh, master classes about creative confidence because the all the research that we did about creativity, it was that most people kind of like lack that creative confidence and we are creating 
all the time. We're creating the life that we want all the time. We're creating in our businesses, in our, in our jobs, right? We're creating in our family. For example, you're creating a new language. You're, you're creating this kind of like translating machine between artists, right? And clients that they speak completely different mm -hmm. languages, right? But you're constantly create, creating. And sometimes we're not consciously, you know, saying like, oh, am I creative enough to create this, you know, translation language between, you know, clients and artists? No. Yeah. Right? <laughs> So it's, it's, yeah, it's there's like a stigma. That this mindset, we need to change it. We need to, to advance with more confidence in our creativity and in our artistic ability. Totally agree. And I think that, you know, once you embrace that, like, and it's interesting that you bring that up because there's a lot of, there's like these, there's a lot of people in massive art that are interested a lot by art. And, but they're like, oh, no, I'm not an artist. Oh, I'm not creative at all. I'm just like really making the art happen. And I'm like, well, I think that you're creative. So you're, so you don't have to be shame of like a, a shame of like who you are or like that you're less or more creative than someone. And I think that it's a very valid point. I've never thought about it, but you know, like what you guys do at Luan is so important, like giving this creative confidence to people, because even if it's not like people have a stigma around the art career, or so it, there's a feeling, you know, how a lot of people are like, Oh, my parents would never want me to be an artist. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes it's like, they don't understand, you know, they like, it, it's, it's fine. It, they, they don't have the same references, they, you know, and, and it's not necessarily about, making a whole career about painting or that sometimes you can use your creativity and your artistic expression for so much more. And, and you can employ, you can bring that into more corporate setups that deeply needs it. And this is your secret power. You know, you're, you're the creative and you bring sensitivity to the table and you bring nuances and you bring storytelling. And so it's so important. And I think that this is an excellent point, you know, it's the revolution starts from within, you know, it's like, You're, there's all those barriers that we've mentioned outside, but I think that it's an excellent point that we often have barriers right here, you know, that we could just do a little bit of work kind of lift up. Totally. When I was young, mm. I was like 16 and I was traveling like backpacking and I saw this quote in a museum that said borders. I have never seen one, but I have heard they exist in some people's minds. And I remember that quote so strongly because we're constantly, you know, telling ourselves, no, no, no. I'm not an artist or I'm not creative just because maybe we don't know how to draw, you know, professionally, or maybe because we don't know how to paint or maybe because we don't know how to take out a, a, a musical masterpiece. Right. And we have this inner, inner judge, right. This self-criticism that it's constantly, you know, kind of like criticizing or, or being judgmental about the type of artistic work that you do. And we tend to think that creativity is all the time related to arts And it's not, you know, a mathematician uses a lot of creativity to solve problems, right? Not only a designer is solving Absolutely. problems, but like, you know, a lawyer is also, you know, creating, you know, a lot of, you know, solutions. So he's using, or he or she is using a lot of creativity. So creativity, we're using it all the time. That's the ability that when we come with a new idea, and that's the ability that when we come with a new, you know, insight, a new, you know, um, mix or merge between two concepts, you know, we're constantly creating. It doesn't necessarily have to do with art. And also I would encourage, you know, for all of us that, that are listening uh, today to be more mindful and more compassionate or self-compassionate with our inner critic, because the inner critic is a dream killer, a dream killer. We're, constantly, yeah. <laughs> you know, we're trying to do something and then here comes a dream killer. Like, oh my God, no, this is not going to work because A, B, C, D, or D, you know? <laughs> It's crazy. No, I know. I was reading this. Uh, mm -hmm. They say that the brain is actually designed to find problems. And like the way we work is really like we love to solve problems and our brains are trained to do this. So basically we have a capacity to imagine problems that is way greater uh, than the actual, you know, problems that might happen. And so to your point, we just have to like shut up this little kind of problem voice and tell them, okay, well, thanks for your great input now. 
Thank, thanks, Nancy, for this great input. Now, like, let's pass to optimism boards, you know? Totally. And I, and I understand how it works because it has to do with the survival, right? That it's constantly telling us, like, if you go through that way, you know, maybe a lion could come and eat you or hurt you. You know what I mean? So I understand it's based on survival. And there's, there's this um, theory from a, from a yogi instructor that's based within an ashram over in India that he says that first we need to survive so then we can create. If we, yeah. we uh, if we calm our mind that we have already survived, right? If you have kind of like the basic needs, basic needs, you know, food and shelter, right? You know, met, then we can have, you know, some time to be able to create. Because when we are in survival mode, when we are stressed, when we have our, our like cortisol levels high, we're not being able to create as freely, right? Or as with so much joy. You know what? It's it like... It connects a little bit with the beginning of the talk today that we've had where you ask, you know, about the beginning of Massive Art. And I told you about this precise moment where we were tired, we were so stressed, we had no money because we were living out of our passion. And so we had to take this little step back to say, okay, well, does it mean that we have to stop everything? Or does it mean that we need to just rethink a little bit about how we proceed? And so I think that this is also, we were, I had a shelter, but I was, you know, I think I got in that space where I was like, oh my God, okay, no, I have. And a lot of people were saying like, just quit everything and just get a job. And, and so I think that it's what you're saying combined with like, if it's your passion and if it's really something that you want to do and like, you, you just need to go and do it, but it doesn't mean that you need to be blind about saying you can take a little step back sometimes and say, okay, how can I reshift things around? And most of the time as you're doing that, well, I have found in my personal experience that like life can just put something in your way. Like it's not even, you don't even have to like really find a solution that hard, just giving you the space to kind of see it. So it's like really taking a step back and observing and saying, oh, and then some kind of a like solution starts shaping up and then you can like draw the contours of it and you can kind of like start feeling it. And I think that for me, what you're saying really resonates with my experience of, you know, how it all started. And I'd say that, you know, if you're passionate about something, if you're feeling something is right for you, then most likely it is. And so if it's, and you can use your creative power to, to achieve that. What would be something that you would uh, recommend for people that want to start something creative? Could be um, an agency, a consulting, could be their own art. What would be the advice that you've learned in your career that you would like to share? Yeah, I think that it's like really think of like why you uh, like your your real motivations and your real goals and really define them well. And because uh, you know some people that I've met, they want to start businesses for money. And then I always say, if you if your passion is money, you should be banking, you know, or finance. But it has to be more about what you're passionate about and what you want to say and what you want to bring in this world. And this is where you need to focus. And then this is what you need to define really well, mm -hmm. but also that you need to be mindful of, you know, like uh, kind of the mechanics. So, uh, so it's a balance. It's like really at the same time, focusing on your dreams and on the reason why you do that and your passion, but also be mindful of the mechanics and, you know, because if, if your dreams is not supported by, you know, a revenue system or like a support system or resources that are sufficient, it's, it's also a dream killer. It's mm -hmm. also like you will get exhausted. You will not have the energy to take it on a long run. And so it's, it's a fine balance, I think, between really being, you know, about what you're passionate about, but having like a little step back and being able to say, okay, well, but I also need to figure out, you know, how, to bring resources to this, uh, to this project or that I have. And sometimes it may feel in competition, those two things, but this is the whole art, you know, of finding the harmony mm -hmm. between, uh, a model and the mechanic that works, uh, but based on your passion. Totally. If you don't define your passion first, you know, most of the time, if you define your passion first, things will also come so it's also okay not to have all of the answers right at the beginning. You know, I think mm -hmm. just do it also is a great advice. Like really do it. For example, at Massive Art, it took us 
three years before we were like, oh, okay, well, maybe we should actually find a way to finance that, you know? And, but then by then we had a reputation, we had contacts and it came organically. Mm-hmm. So follow your passion, I guess is. Yeah. And being authentic with that passion. Right. I think that something that you guys express a lot with massive art is the authenticity that, that you and the team have constantly with the work that you're doing, right? You so you can feel that everybody's like in their zone. You know, it's kind of like living their own truth, if you could put it that right. way. Right. Absolutely. Amazing. So, Philippe, just to close, I would like to ask you, these are 10 questions, and ideally would be for you to answer in one word or like really short answers, right? So I know Got that it, I'm ready. Well, but like something, you know, the first thing that comes to mind, that's the best thing, okay? So, right. what is art for you? Emotions. Your favorite author? Mm. Favorite author. That's so good. I'd say Jules Verne. An advice that changed your life. It's a work-life balance advice. It's a third one third, one third, one third, one third work, one third passion, one third family. Mm-hmm. The best quality in humans. Kindness. A book that you recommend? A book that I recommend. A book that I recommend. Mm. Well, I really like stories in general. So I'd say... Mm, yeah, just like a, L'Alchimist, the Alchemist. Like a okay. dream, like a dreamy, nice, mm. inspiring faith scenarios amazing what feeds your soul friends the most pressing issue for humanity i'd have want to say environment Mm -hmm. if humans can agree on this you will be very happy uh ethics like Ethical decisions. Mm-hmm. So important. What would you like to scream to the whole world? Oh my God. Um, life is beautiful. It sounds a little cliche, but I think so many people have like a hard time to see how beautiful their life is. Mm-hmm. And the last one, what is it that you have lived and that no one could miss experiencing it? Um, The joy and hardship moments of creating your own projects and of seeing the super low moments and the super high moments that it brings. And, And this is, I think whether it be a business project or a personal project, I think this is something that's hard or really beautiful, but super formative. Mm, That's beautiful. That's beautiful. Amazing, Philippe. Thank you so much for sharing your magic. You know that here at Luan, we're such a huge fans of Massive Art and you. And thank you so much for sharing your experience with us. It's reciprocal. It was a pleasure, Mario. Thank you so much for the invitation and thank you everyone for listening. Thank you. Want to keep the conversation going? Luan, the world's first emotional museum, designed a global online experience to inspire and explore. Follow us on Instagram, YouTube, Telegram, and visit our site at luanmuseum.com to engage creatively.